Welcome to Wellspring on the Air, and this is Tova. Last week, I talked about habits in the brain, and we reviewed some things together about the science and research of the brain and then how to apply that to healthy habits. Today with me on the show, we have Lindsay Steffen. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hi, Tova. Thanks for having me. So today you're joining me as we talk about eating, the habits of eating. So here I am again, working on my own healthy habits, applying all the stuff that I'm teaching to you all. So we might as well talk about the things I'm working on because it's all about me. No, (laughs) because food is an important part of our lives. So I want to just talk about the fact that food is important and what our nutrition is important. Basically, food is fuel, right? It gives us energy. It's also nutrition that we need. It keeps us functioning and moving. Think of it like gasoline in the car. The car is not about the gasoline. The car is about getting somewhere. Our bodies are the means by which God works in our lives for everything we have to do to obey him. When we love God, we have to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to love him through our bodies. And our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are how we love, how we work, how we think. Everything we do comes through our bodies. And so we need to be taking care of our bodies. When I started working on this habits, and particularly my own nutrition a couple of years ago, One of the things I I remember being out in my yard and looking at my gardening and wondering why my plants in my garden do not look the way they did when I bought them from Home Depot. Anyone else have that experience? Mm -hmm. When you're in Home Depot, they're big and rich and full. And when I bring them home a few months later, they're like wilty and all. And I talked to this friend of mine who was a horticulturalist, and he said, it's really simple, sun, water, fertilizer, that's all that there is. It's a matter of math and science, what you put in and what you make sure you don't put in, all the toxins, like maybe my husband's little gasoline spill from the chainsaw is a problem to the poor plants, or my lack of watering, or all those things. But the interesting point is this, when I look at my plants, I can see very obviously the difference that it makes to have water or to have nutrition. And why would I think my own body is any different than that? I flourish that significantly or wilt that significantly just by not drinking enough water, not putting the right nutrition in and putting toxins in instead that my body's working really hard to get rid of. So think of yourself like those plants that you see at the nursery and say, what do I need to give myself so my body is full and and flowering just the way it's supposed to be so I can do all the things I wanna do in life. Okay, that's today. We're talking about food as nutrition and as fuel and energy for us. So before we move forward, let me remind you one more time about the five habit helps that I gave you last week. The first is that your past is your teacher. It's really not helpful to move forward in your habit work without looking back. How did you get those bad habits? How did they get entrenched? Where do they begin? How do they reward them? What triggers you to keep doing them? And also, what was successful in the past that you used to do that you could add to to be successful in the future? So one is your past is your teacher. Two is change your expectations of reward. Our minds will motivate us to seek rewards, but you can change what your mind and your body seeks by thinking differently about what's rewarding. If you can make yourself convinced that eating healthy is rewarding because you feel so great, you will be motivated to eat healthy because you believe from the bottom of your heart that it's going to give you rewards and you're going to love it. Three is see it to be it. And that basically means if you can't picture yourself in your mind's eye doing the things you want to do, you will never do them. You've got to start with the picture in your mind before you can act. Four is to live abundantly. 
That means you need to actually satisfy your body, particularly with food, with every single thing it needs. And then you will not be impulse driven. You will not be driven to meet needs that are from hunger and thirst because your body is craving what it actually needs. If you live abundantly, if you are already satisfied, you will make good choices more easily. But the fifth step is plan for success. You have to plan it. You have to have achievable, realistic goals that you can meet. And you got to work at them. You got to plan them. You got to hem yourself into doing the right things. Okay, those are our five habits. I'm going to get back to Lindsay now. I've asked Lindsay the question, how do you think these five habit helps could apply to the issues of eating and food? Well, I think we could honestly apply all five, but just for sake of time today, let's start with the first one. So history of our habits. That's one of my go-to questions when I speak with clients coming with an eating disorder. Where did you learn this? Where did you learn to restrict or binge and purge? Often we find that mom or dad obsessed about their own body composition at an early age. The child seeing mom obsessed about eating only diet foods or have a very inflexible or negative relationship with food herself. And does TV play a part in all of this too when you think about where you learned it? Absolutely. Or, you know, all of social media, I should say. Sure. I think culturally, there is such an attack, really, we can say on men and women, especially young men and women, to look a certain way, to find their self-worth from maybe what they achieve or how they look, being um, the right thickness or skinny, whatever that is. So some of that starts very early in life, even little children already learning to be obsessive about skinny or obsessive about how they look because of society, because of their parents and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people take for granted this is something that more teenage women deal with specifically. But honestly, eating disorders, we see very young children come in with them. And the obsession could be around uh, body image and how they look, or it could just simply be about control, which we find is really one of the key components of an eating disorder. And that can start as early as maybe even um, toddler years, having unhealthy relationship with food at three, four, five years old. And control is an issue for those people who have out-of-control worlds around them, live in chaotic environments even very early, may really need to find some area of their life where they can be in control. And food might be it. That's what you're saying when you talk about control, right? Absolutely. Um, for example, maybe a child comes in who was abused, and so they had no control over their own safety, no sense of control over their own body even. And so they're very susceptible to an eating disorder or another addiction because they need that sense of control. We all need that as human beings, it's actually a healthy need that we have. But if they're not getting that need met in a productive way, in the way that they're designed to get it met, then they're going to meet it in a dysfunctional way. So they might get it met by binging and purging or restricting their food intake or just having maybe very rigid ideas around food, what type of food they'll eat. So wine control is not bad. It's just that how we do it. Right? Yeah, it is because a sense of control is a sense of safety and stability. And I think that's very healthy. We need that as human beings to have a sense of autonomy and a sense that we can keep ourselves safe. But we go to that dysfunctional level when maybe we're not meeting those needs in the way that we're functionally designed to by our creator. 
Well, that goes to my healthy habit hint number four, living abundantly. If we're Mm -hmm. being satisfied in the ways God means us to be satisfied, we will not be inclined to doing it wrong ways. And we don't need to beat ourselves up for reaching for those goals of safety. We just need to get it in good ways, right? Exactly. Yeah. So replacing that behavior. I think you talked about that some with habits, but finding something that works better than an eating disorder to achieve that sense of control, something that it actually works for us. It's not working against us like an eating disorder would. And that's the development of good, healthy habits. Mm -hmm. So did you have anything else there on history or anything else from your five habit helps that I had? Yeah, I think also the second one you touched on with the expectation of reward. Before the show, Tova and I were discussing how often maybe to soothe a child, they fall, they skin their knee, the mom will give them a kiss and a cookie. And so they're already being programmed, kind of going back to last week's show, that dopamine release, that chemical release is being paired with, I'm hurt or I need comfort, I get food. And so we're already pairing those things in the brain and those neural pathways, they're very strong and they will be there lifelong unless they are rewired at some point, which is a lot of the work we do in the counseling room. And that's actually that dopamine release. That's the same release we see in those suffering with addictions. So that food is now becoming an addictive entity or essentially it has the same power as an addiction, which is very scary because we can cut cocaine or alcohol out of our lives, but we cannot cut food out. It's something we need for survival. So it's a very delicate healing process in that sense. You've described that really well. I thank you for that. Anything else you want to add on your hints and how they apply to food and eating? I kind of going back to what you said about the culture, um, I think we find specific cultures, there's such an emphasis on food is love. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I love that. I think it's a beautiful thing to share a meal. It's beautiful. It's sacred. But we need to be mindful when the emphasis goes from that shared love and community to more just stuffing ourselves beyond what is healthy or even comfortable. So here in the U.S., Thanksgiving is kind of comically viewed as that day where gluttony is not only okay, but it's promoted. Everyone comes in their quote unquote fat pants and is ready to, you know, stuff themselves to the gills. (laughs) I love Thanksgiving. I love the turkey and stuffing, but (laughs) it's just those kind of subtle things that I think are not harmful in and of themselves. But when that becomes a lifestyle or a mindset, then we start to get into some trouble spots. Well, I think the mindset is exactly it, is what does that food mean? And back to last week, if it's fired together, it's wired together, meaning the synapse in our brain. Does food mean healthy, feel good, satisfied? I feel full in in a good way and energized? Or does food mean love or does food mean caretaking or does food mean something I just am impulse driven and then feel guilty about and cycles of guilt and shame or other types of cycles that are really unhealthy. Right. Oh, this is great, Lindsay. I'm loving what you're adding to our show today. So tell our audience about the difference between healthy efforts to lose weight versus obsessive weight loss or an eating disorder. Sure. Well, I think like most things, it starts with our thought life. Our thoughts inform our emotions, which will determine what behavior we then choose. So in a healthy mindset, food is viewed as fuel. It's nutrition for the body. Eating is an action in response to the cue of hunger. But someone with an eating disorder, they're not using hunger as their natural cue. They're using an emotion as a cue and often an emotion that is perhaps painful. So maybe loneliness, shame or guilt. They're trying to meet a non-food related need with food. 
Just Mm. like someone who maybe they're looking for intimacy, perhaps they turn to sexual addiction or pornography, and it's a false sense of intimacy. They're not really meeting that goal, but that might be where they turn. So a person with an eating disorder, like we said, maybe they're trying to feel in control or they're trying to cover up whatever that negative emotion is. And instead of a healthy effort to lose weight is more seeing food, like I said, as fuel. And so they're able to address their body and losing weight as something to better themselves. So that obsessive weight loss with an eating disorder, that is more centered again around those dysfunctional thoughts, but a healthy effort to lose weight is around more of that food is fuel and I'm going to use the right fuel, the right amount of fuel to serve my body in the best way possible. So cutting back is actually, it's a positive thing. It's not for some secondary gain, like to look a certain way to achieve love or worth. And I want to clarify too, that an eating disorder is not the same thing as someone who's just obsessively working at losing weight. In other words, there are degrees of people who are just obsessed with being skinny or something or eating for love or those dysfunctional reasons. And then there is a farther extreme of true life-threatening eating disorders, in which case we want to say to those people out there in this audience that we really want to encourage you to get help with that. It's nothing to be played around with. And at the end of the show, we'll give you some resources for that. You can go to Wellspring. We'll send you off to other people who are experts. We'll coach you through that. But that's a special degree and a special skill set for nutritionists, doctors, and therapists to team up together on to help people with eating disorders. But I, I wanted to say those are not all the same, right? We're talking about a spectrum of dysfunctional types of eating, right? Sure. I think it can kind of, again, everything's on that spectrum, but we can go from emotional eating, kind of an unhealthy relationship with food, to a full-blown eating disorder. It's just really the severity of those symptoms. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about binging and purging versus overeating and maybe just some of those different types of dysfunctional, unhealthy Food sure. issues. So I think when people think of an eating disorder, they often think of anorexia first. So you imagine someone very thick, thin, you can see their bones, clearly there's something going on. But with binging and purging, that might be an eating disorder that is less easy to detect. Often it really doesn't achieve that goal of reducing weight gain, but the purging itself is very detrimental to one's health. So over time, that behavior can lead to your heart stopping, binging and purging. It's kind of the relationship with food is it's about control, but it's a bit different from my viewpoint clinically that binging is like stuffing emotions down is how I see it symbolically. So you're pushing down those emotions, that literal action of just shoving food down, large amounts of food. Maybe I don't want to feel shame or guilt or sadness, loneliness, whatever it is. So I'm eating for comfort. I'm pushing down those feelings, pushing down that food until I'm uncomfortably full. And then in an effort to relieve that fullness or avoid weight gain, perhaps I purge and the purge has likely been paired at that point with that dopamine release. So I'm getting a payoff from it. I want to do it again later that day or maybe the next day. And that's how really I call it an addiction cycle. That's how that begins. 
Well, thank you for sharing that. Let's move on towards the maybe the more common, some of us with our mild dysfunctionals, okay. dysfunctional <laughs> eating and our desire to develop healthy habits. So what kind of advice do you have for just across the board developing healthy eating habits? Of course, goals have to be realistic and achievable. I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, especially this time of year, the new year, new resolutions, the gyms are packed, everyone's buying healthy foods, but kind of that black and white, all or nothing thinking, it really doesn't work long term. So you probably have heard crash diets that cut out everything that is quote unquote bad in one day. They're not necessarily sustainable for a lifestyle. So you're probably going to have a piece of cake again one day, and that's okay. That's normal. Um, But having a plan is important. Knowing before you go to the grocery store, what is the recipe I want to make this week? Meal planning, knowing what you're going to buy instead of getting there and just seeing the Oreos on the shelf and wanting them in the moment and just putting whatever feels good in the basket. It takes some forethought, some planning. One of the key things I have to do is not shop when I'm hungry. Yes, that is a true Showing thing. Up my at mom the grocery taught me store that. At five o'clock when I'm starving and on my way home, that's a really bad time to shop. Yep, and you're probably going to buy a candy bar while you're checking out too. <laughs> chocolate, I go for the chocolate. But yes. besides having a plan, what else would help us develop these healthy eating habits? Well, being around other healthy people, people who are going to be supportive as you try to achieve these goals. If you make an effort to eat out with friends who also make healthy choices, you can learn from them. You can watch them, see how they model healthy lifestyle choices. Um, Some people need extra support at the beginning. If finances allow, you can do a program like Blue Apron that delivers meals to your home. So they're pre-prepared. You don't have to worry about, can I have this? How much of this can I have? Kind of might give you almost a crash course in what is an appropriate portion size, what is a healthy balance between proteins, fruits, and vegetables. Another great support that I often promote is doing a program. So some people, they really need that team, that community around them. So Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, something like that, where you're doing a specific program and people are in the same boat as you are. I really think that's a great system for a lot of people. Well, I love what you said about healthy support teams. You know, it applies to one thing, which I had talked about last week with the brain, which is mirror neurons, which is we literally copy in our brains, whether we want to or not, what we see other people doing. Mm-hmm. So the importance of being aware of what you're seeing on TV, what you're seeing in other places and choosing instead to see, to go to the gym or to go out, like you said, and eat with people who do eat healthy, that we will literally copy that, mimic that. Peer pressure is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the supportive environment that we also have with loved ones, I I think it's important to look at those who are supportive and make sure we get those in. It's also sometimes important that we kind of avoid or help ourselves ignore those who are not supportive. Some people really don't want us to be healthy because it makes them feel bad about their own unhealthy habits. And so they can kind of sabotage it. Here, have this, do that, join me, just one. Uh, I actually had to go to my daughter. She's she's actually wonderful. My adult daughter, I was over there the other night and afterwards I felt like it overindulged ever so slightly. And so I called her up afterwards and I said, I need you to help me because she's just so wonderfully what food is love and enabling of me, you know, <laughs> but But I said, you want me to be around for a long time with your grandkids, right? So you need to help me be healthy. So I need you to team with me. And she's like, all right, mom, I can do that. And she's like my partner on our fitness routines. And I can text her and tell her when I've done great. And today I'm going to babysit so that she can go to her own boot camp. And so we're cheering each other on. But we sometimes we need to ask other people to help us more than they are, the ones who are negative. I think one of the keys on that is that we 
that we describe our healthy choices as personal to us versus judgment on their unhealthy choices. I think that's a social thing you can do. If you just kind of say, I have a problem with food or I have a problem with this or my doctor says I need to work on this, then you're not judging them and that takes other people off the hook where they can just cheer you on and asking people to cheer you on. All those things help create a nice social environment for us meeting our goals with our habits, all of them, not just food, but all of them. Absolutely. And it might make you rethink who's around you. So if there are people sabotaging you or not supporting, it's kind of like someone who perhaps is getting clean from alcohol. You know, the friend who invites you to the bar or who comes by and wants to do shots with you, they're not your friend. And so you kind of see the same with eating. Who are those people who they support you, they love you, they have your back, they're not going to come over with a pan of brownies, but maybe on a movie night or whatever you're doing together, they're bringing some healthy choices and supporting you. It's hard when they really are your friends, which means that you may have to choose between your own health and facing some grief and loss over some old things that had good parts to them, good people, good parts, good fun, good things. Um, But we really do have to live intentionally and make some decisions about what we want long-term. If you look at yourself 10 years down the road, where do you want to be and how are you going to get there? So I think that acknowledging the grief and loss of some of those things that we have to give up in order to do the right things. Doing the right things is often the hard thing. And again, it includes grief and loss. It is. But the cool thing about this process, like with any sort of healthy process or coming out of an addiction, what have you, you're starting to rewire the brain like you talked about. So it gets easier. It's hard at the beginning. It's challenging. But as you start to rewire, things start to fire with new experiences, new what have you, maybe new food experiences, then it starts to become natural. And soon it's your new norm. And once it's a normal, you don't even have to think about it. So that's a hope I give a lot of my clients is that, yes, today it's really hard. Today it's extremely difficult, but it won't be like this forever. Lindsay, as I listen to you, just makes me want to be your client. She's so encouraging and supportive, right? Okay, I was just like, okay, I can, I can do it. You know, I just, I really appreciate that. While we're on it, we're talking about putting the good things in and starting new and good healthy habits. I do think while we're on food and nutrition, we need to talk about toxins a little bit here. That's putting in things that our bodies and our systems are working super hard to have to overcome. And God beautifully designed us to overcome those things. We have kidneys and livers and things that help us purge those toxins, but we could give our bodies a little break and try to limit some of those things a little bit more and recognize that even if everybody in society is smoking pot or drinking or at least we think that's true those things are actually very hard on our bodies and and uh, we need to think about what we do that is very hard on our bodies to overcome yeah I love that thought because it's very holistic I think eating is just one facet of our overall health and who we are so what does your exercise life look like and I think some people hear that word and immediately no no like run for the hills but exercise it doesn't have to be a two-hour boot camp every day it could be maybe you enjoy walking or biking or dancing I have a client who she loves dancing and I think it's an awesome outlet for her her headspace emotionally and then her body is moving fighting depression all of those things releasing serotonin so you just have to find what works for you and I think that's the cool thing that clients often don't realize how many strengths how many Um, skills they already have. They just don't know that they are skills and they can continue to be developed and honed. Lindsay, it's been great to be with you today. Also, if you have eating disorder concerns, we invite you to call Wellspring and let us direct you to our own people or out to specialists in the community. 
If you would like to get the positive kind of coaching that you've heard from Lindsay today on our show or from any of our Wellspring therapists, just go to our website, wellspringmiami.org, and we'll help you find a counselor that will help coach you through your healthy habit development, figuring out how you got to where you are, deciding where you want to go, and coaching you and encouraging you along the way to get there. It's time to wrap up. This is Tova Krebs with Wellspring on the Air, because hearts and minds matter.